So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. The industry, while people don't think of it, they always think of a grandma sitting around and quilting, which is is very true, but it's a, it's a very much a growing industry. And actually, it almost died out in the 80s until, and I honestly, I don't even know who invented it, but a rotary cutter and a ruler really saved it because as opposed to sitting there with scissors and cutting little pieces out, you're able to quickly cut and it forced the demand to make these amazing machines that they made to be able to do work very quickly and efficiently and well. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got my friend Melinda Bigley. Melinda, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. So you've got a you've got an interesting career slash entrepreneurial background. I'm excited for people to hear about the the different things you've done. When you when you meet somebody, how do you introduce yourself these days? I just say hi. <laughs> That's pretty much it. When they ask what you, you do. Thank you for having me, by the way, Jess. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, you bet. We, you know, we, it's been really fun. This series we've done of, of kind of like up and coming female entrepreneurs. It, it's been fun, these different stories we've had. So I'm excited you could do I this. I bet. Yeah, I am. Too. When people ask what you do, how do you describe it? I think the first thing I say at this point now is that I'm a baby lock educator. I think that trumps most other things. And I have started a business. It's It's an embroidery business. But I think the most important thing at this point is educating people in how to sew as far as quilting and embroidery goes. And that I, I, I started a YouTube channel in September, I think, and I never, ever, ever would have thought of doing something like that. I was always behind the camera. But because of this whole COVID mess, I got the gist that people were really struggling. A lot of people in various age groups were really struggling with being alone and isolated. And in particular, you know, quilters, we were a social group and we quilt together in in groups of friends and that got stopped. And really it was kind of a desire to just bring people together, even if it's virtually, which to me is so foreign. I can't even tell you, I'm getting more used to it because of the demand for teaching virtually. And I teach for quality sewing here in the Northwest. So that's the other thing. And it really does help people I've noticed. And that's why I keep doing it. So that's, that's fun. Well, I think maybe, maybe somewhere to start is, is a different part of your career. You know, we, we had your husband on and everybody got to hear about Tom and his time in the Rangers and the army special mission unit and that kind of stuff. And, and I think we heard briefly about how you guys met, but for people who don't remember that episode, can you talk about photography over in a war zone? (laughs) Some of it. Yes, I can. That Yes. We met, and yeah, he was a ranger. He was in Delta Force and spent his whole career, almost 30 years, doing that. 
we met when I was headed over to Iraq in 08 to be a combat photographer. And the the group here from Washington was pre-mobbing in Wisconsin. So I would go back and forth there and, and work over there. And then came time to go overseas and went to war. So yeah, not well, normal for, I think, going into the career I'm in now. Obviously, that's a strange jump, which I get a lot, but that's what happened. I think, I think it's great. It's got to be, it's got to be a competitive advantage. There's not a lot like when other folks in the quilting industry are giving their backstory, you don't no. have to be like, Oh, one more combat, one more combat <laughs> photographer got into quilting her that yeah, story a right. hundred times. We're so sick of hearing about this. Yeah, no, I don't get that. So, so let's start there. Can you, can you talk to us about, I don't know, tell us one of the most interesting things that about being a combat photographer. Oh, I honestly, I don't know if I could even put them in order. What I can tell you is it's an entirely different set of rules. I think, I think that it puts you, it, it changed me as a person seeing life in, in a combat zone, in a war. It's very different than, than going to a third world country and seeing life on that level. It's, 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 it puts normalcy in perspective. Because in that situation, there is no, well, I guess there's a, de a definite normal, but it's nothing that people in America, normal America has ever experienced. You can't read about it. You can't watch movies. I've always, always been very interested and very much greatly respected people that protected our freedom. But to be there, it has us. I mean, honestly, it has an energy. It has a smell. It has, it has a feeling that you cannot replicate. And it was important to me to experience that on a level that I could fundamentally understand. Otherwise, I can't relate pictures back to people here. And the reason I went was because I didn't feel like people here were or anywhere were representing what our guys were going through. And as for many people, 9-11 shook me to my core. And then afterwards, watching the media slowly, which I, I, I sort of understand people get weary of watching war stuff over and over, but you have to, you have to continue to be appreciative of what those guys are doing and not just them, but their families and what they're, they're you know, everybody says it and it's a played term. It's cliche that what they're sacrificing, but they're sacrificing everything. And it's, it's while they may not come back and say, yeah, it's for freedom. It is. And it's unavoidable. And a lot of people like to say that war is something that we can stop from happening. And if you tell me how we can get rid of the bad guys, I'll tell you how we can stop war. And that's just part of life. Unfortunately, from the beginning of time, that's what happens. It's human nature. And our guys go over there and they stop it. And the hope is that we stop it before it comes here. So for me to sit here and say what my, what the most interesting, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly sure. organize that. And, and tell us about, well, just tell us a little bit about the experience. What are some of the rules working with the army when, you know? You're not an enlisted individual. Yeah, that I think that was kind of that kind of put me in a different position, one that I like because I'm not very good at following rules to begin with. So, so you're a born entrepreneur, right there. That makes oh, you a great yeah. yeah, I do not I am not a good rule follower at all. So it kind of put me in a position of being able to <laughs> break rules with no recourse. And and the guys that were the, the kind of thought they were no one was my boss, put it that way. And guys that tried to pretend like they were found out that they weren't. Now I did follow certain, I, I had to follow certain things like where you have to wear body armor. That's just how it is. And if you don't, you're dumb. 
it's, it's sometimes it can be very hard to get simple things done. And it's a hurry up and wait kind of thing in the army. Little things like taking hops in between. It's far better at the time in Iraq to fly than it was to drive. Driving is absolutely the most dangerous thing you can do. And I did a lot of that too. But it's, you know, you get to the airports and if there's a sandstorm, which happens, you sit there and you wait for hours and hours, hours, you get on, you get on the hop and sometimes it takes off, sometimes it doesn't. So you get used to being at their mercy to, in that in that respect. What made my trip more interesting, I think, than the normal media is that because of who my bodyguard was, I got to see things that nobody got to see. The army wasn't allowed in places I was. I was So I, I really traveled in large groups of two and three while I was in Baghdad. And that, I think, was in and of itself a monumental difference as opposed to traveling with, you know, I would go in convoys and things like that, which our guys were doing and they drive at night and talk about rules. There are so, you know, there are simple rules that they follow. You don't go above 30 miles an hour, a, a bunch of things. It's, it's, again, you get in the convoy and it's, it's hard. It's boring. It's long. It smells of fuel. You're caught, you're covered in, in filth. It's dirty. The dust there is like talcum powder. It gets in everything. It gets inside watches everything it's and it's and at night when you're driving you know i had a gunner i was in a humvee most of the time i had a gunner to my right i was always in the back left seat the gunner is sitting and usually i was in the, the trail car he he rotates back and forth never forward obviously because then he's pointing towards our guys but they just sit there and rotate so you have this click 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 click, click the whole time and you know he just kind of gut it out. It's like I said, it's cold and it's, it's long and you just hope that you don't run over something that ejects you out of your seat. And they do these, sorry, army, but they do these ridiculous drills when they pre-mobe, they stick you in a, in a Humvee and it's attached to some sort of thing, an arm, and it rolls you over and over again. And in the drill, you're supposed to put your hands on the ceiling and say, roll over, roll over. Well, my group being my group, and I'm only going to say Tom's name because he was in the group. None of us were saying anything because it's dumb. So we just kept getting rolled and rolled and rolled until we said it. If you're rolling over and you're actually getting flipped, I'm thinking that's not going to help you a whole lot. But, you know, that's part of the drill. They make you flip over so that you know what to do when you get blown up. So, you know, I mean, these things that sound that, that I think that's the interesting thing, too. When I, when I say things like that, it's so foreign to most people that it sounds weird. And it's, it, when you're there, it's not weird. It's just what you, it's just what they do. And I think for the majority of people, it's scary because you never know, again, if you're driving, you might get hit. It's, 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 in fact, it's probably at certain times during the war, it's more likely than not. I remember driving down a lot of times when you're with somebody that's in a hurry, you drive down the wrong side of the road. And I remember driving down Haifa Street. Tom was driving with a three-quarter armored car, which means it was a, it's a um, suburban and it's armored three-quarter of the way up the car. So there's a, there's a section of the top window of the window that you can roll down and shoot out, which is good and bad. I, for, I was not armed there. I wasn't, I wasn't competent at that point in my life. So I didn't care, but he always did, of course. But we were doing 120 down the wrong side of the road in Haifa Street at a very dangerous time. And you just kind of go because if you stop, 
that's when you get hit. And at that point, you'll get hit either with small arms. And if they hit you with an ID, that's usually when they attack you with small arms stuff. So that's just, and that, and that's just, you know, when you go out, you go outside the gate. And I, and again, you, you know, I most people are relegated to the green zone or the IZ. I was outside that most of the time. And that's where you have to be careful. And 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 there were certain places I wasn't that you wouldn't take me understandably so you know across the tigris there's a there's an area that's predominantly shia run and the majority of ieds and efps came out of that area a lot of them so that was something that you just don't you don't go so that's part of it well congratulations on your book watching over us i've got a copy oh thank you yeah i put that out after i think that i put that out in 2010 that was really the goal is to get the guys something that they and and the the photography in it the I, I always say this because it's true. The, the the photographs are not high quality and I put it out intentionally so that it was the most affordable so that the guys didn't have to. And I really, honestly, I give most of them away. If I, if I, if I find somebody that wants one, I generally just buy it and give it to them because I, they don't give them, I don't give, they don't give them to me either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, Washington National Guard was, was a consulting client of mine for years. And actually just recently we had Brian Nelson from the intelligence side of the house on the show, okay. who, who's actually, he's the guy that introduced me to Dave, who introduced me to Tom, which is how we oh, became friends okay. in the first place. So gotcha. it's fun. Dave, which Dave? In the uh, Dave Hamilton. Oh yeah. Hamilton. Yep. I, he was actually next to my two in, in, in Balad. Oh really? Yep. That's yeah. He worked nights. Wow. So when you, when you think about that time over there, what kind of, what kind of lessons of whether it's mental toughness or anything, have you brought to, you know, the obstacles of, of entrepreneurship? I think you can, honestly, you can pretty much apply everything, everything that you learn in, in any situation, really. I, I, I value experience. Experience gives you your perspective without experiencing something. You don't have a standpoint, right? When you experience, whether it's good or bad. And oftentimes I find that the worst experience, the more I learn from it. Not that I, you enjoy those things when they happen, but they make you, they, you know, as cliche as it is, is it makes you stronger because you got to figure something else out. And the next time something happens, you kind of look at it and go, hey, I've been through this. I've been through worse than this. And I'll figure this out. I've always been a very quick problem solver anyway. I don't look at things as though they have, I always look at something as though there's a solution. And it's just a matter of figuring that, figuring what that solution is in the least amount of time and in the best way possible to get the best outcome. So I think I already had the mindset to go over there. I think without that, in my position, again, I wasn't with the army, so I didn't have people telling me what to do. I did it. I did what I wanted to do every day and covered what I want wanted, which is how I work well. So my mindset was very attuned to that kind of experience to begin with. And it, to me, I didn't, I, I mean, there were a couple of times where it got pretty sketchy, but it, I, you don't really get scared. Heck, we were being, we were getting targeted the day I got to Balad. It was called more, used to be called Mortaritaville and they wouldn't send in media there anymore, but there's a phalanx system that goes off and they were hitting us right away when you get there. But that's not what you asked me. I think, I think that the challenges that came up and I think more getting into Iraq, I had to use that, the, the ability to problem solve prior to going in. When I was there, it's just, it's just work. I'm on it. And I, you know, it's a matter of what I'm doing today or who I'm seeing or who I'm finding or what I'm not allowed to do. 
such as going into an elementary school. You know, I wasn't cleared to go in. I was able to walk in. So, so when challenges come up in a business sense, to me, I look at them as simply a new challenge to figure out. It's a puzzle more than a no. I really don't look at things as no, hard no's ever. And I think that outlook and a positive outlook, which I just generally have, because I generally think things will work, is really important when you're looking at it from a business perspective. You're not looking at it as a life or death thing on a daily basis, clearly. But some people take their businesses as life or death. I don't personally look at business that way. I don't. And I think because it's financial, because finances are involved and how you live your life is based on your finances. I don't look at things like that. I, I, I expect to be successful, obviously, but it's never a life and death thing for me because I'll always figure something out next. So I don't know if that was learned there, just solidified. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't in nearly as much jeopardy, but I remember the first time it's related to what you said. The first time part of that really sunk in for me, I went over to Nigeria with the special operations command and we, the, they were, the Nigerians were setting up the, they were launching the Nigerian special operations command. Their, their military hadn't had that. Okay. And so I brought this 25 year seal with me and we team taught a class and it was some, some SF guys and Marine force recon guys and, and different folks. And it was kind of like a big week with like 300 special ops guys and soldiers of like, here's the mistakes we made in Afghanistan. Here's the mistakes we made in Iraq. Yeah. Hopefully you guys don't make those same mistakes with Boko Haram. Right. And yeah, I make uh, yeah, so, you know, all that kind of stuff, like you hear about all the kidnappings in Lagos, for instance, right? I mean, just, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a legitimate industry. It's a business. Right? It's a it business. is business. Very profitable. We're really good for the rest of them. In fact, here too, sadly, but it is, it's a, it's a very lucrative business. And, but in certain ways, like, you know, I'd, I'd been to quite a number of countries around the world, just not any dangerous ones or not too dangerous. You were right? in Nigeria. You were in a dangerous country. Yeah. And so. That's a joke. Like we get, we get there and it's like immediately there's just dudes hanging out with AK-47s all over. And it's not yeah. like Mexico where there's like, oh, there's a federale with, with the rifle. No. It's like, is that guy supposed to have that gun kind of place, right? That's how it and, is. And, and we're driving they're like, oh, that's the UN building that got blown up last year. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, there's yes. some dicey stuff. Yes. And we're in, we're in armored vehicles. And you know, the one, the one, I think it was my, the seal who was with me is like, do you know what that big building is? We keep blocking, we keep, you know, this, this big building at the front of the Hilton before like the long driveway. He's like, do you know what that is that we drive past every day when we come home from the conference? I was like, no, he's like, that's a giant x-ray machine. They're trying to see if there's any bombs in this vehicle, you know? Yeah. But um, that's a good thing. But I just remember like, you know, it's the only Hilton I've been to where there's like just random dudes hanging out in front of the Hilton with AK-47s. Yeah. Right? It's funny um, how many AKs there are in the world, isn't it? They're uh, everywhere. So... So I remember this Marine, there was, there was some stuff that wasn't going as well. There, there, we had some problems on the trip and this force recon Marine who's running the show, he, he talked to me about the 80% solution of like, you know, we're not, we're not trying to fix this whole thing. We're trying to get it 80% fixed and move forward Okay. because that last 20% isn't worth it. We need, we okay. need the 80% solution and we need to move on. And I think just because there was like a, a little bit of jeopardy, it wasn't nearly the, the kind of situation you and Tom are in. But for some reason, like had this emotional resonance with me that stuck with me. And, you know, what, one of his sayings about let's deal with the alligator closest to the boat first, then we'll worry yes. about that other stuff. And, like it entered my lexicon and I've used it ever since, you know. Thankfully, the, 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 at least the alligators aren't strapped with AKs and IEDs. So you can at yeah, least right? just worry about their mouth. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, it is, it is quite a switch to the quilting industry, right? And yeah. I think, you know, the modern media pretty much only likes to talk about the tech business, right? And, yeah. and they discount other industries that can actually be really profitable. You know, we've had Aldona oh, yeah. on the show a couple of times. He helped his, he helped his build his mom's quilt business, oh. Missouri Star Quilt. Huge yeah, fan. He's doing yeah. tens of millions of dollars, right? And who yeah. knew oh, that yes. that's possible? That's right. Um, and, and challenges are challenges. I don't care what industry you're in, you know? Yeah. So can you talk about this niche where you've started on some of the more technical aspects of, of what your community was looking for? In, in other words, the, the, the program as far as the quilting yep. industry. Well, I think technically when I, when I started doing YouTube, a gal named Xandra Shaw actually contacted me and Xandra is one of the most talented, is the most talented embroidery designers you will ever find. She has a business, the embroidery shop. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll plug it. It's embroidershop.com with the old English S-H-O-P-P-E. And I thought, I honestly thought she hit me up by mistake because I was just doing YouTube because like I said, I wanted to reach people and help them and, and just kind of contact people that might be needing some, some bolstering as far as their emotional side goes and getting them connected and really surrounding. I think the biggest part is surrounding themselves with joy and, and, and things that make them happy so it could bring them out of that. So that led, that, that fostered an energy that Xander picked up on. And because that's really who she is and that's what she, she does and she values, which led to baby lock and baby lock company is a family owned company. And they are very, very much in that same genre where they value, they value the family unit and they value those morals and those ethics. And, and that's something that I'm comfortable putting my name on. Okay. For, for people not familiar with the company, what, what's their product? What do they do? Sewing machines. And it's Tacone, actually, Tacone Corporation. And they're based out of Missouri. They, they are, like I said, a family-owned business. And they are predominantly sewing machines. They sell vacuums also. But for me, I'm just on the sewing machine side, which is embroidery and quilting. And again, for me, I don't do clothing. It's just quilting and embroidery. So that's really what I started doing. I, in fact, I made my first quilt in 95 and then started embroidering about 10 years ago. And you're absolutely right. The industry, while people don't think of it, they always think of a grandma sitting around and quilting, which is, is very true. But the, it's, a, it's a very much a growing industry. And actually, it almost died out in the eighties until, and I honestly, I don't even know who invented it, but a rotary cutter and a ruler really saved it because as opposed to sitting there with scissors and cutting little pieces out, you're able to quickly cut and it forced the demand to make these amazing machines that they made to be able to do work very quickly and efficiently and well, very well, which is what baby lock does. You know, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's not one of these like sexy industries that the news wants to cover all the time. Right. But nope. it has such an emotional resonance with people and like a staying power. And like, you know, I grew up in a farm community and my family had been in that little farm town for like a hundred years. And there's a lot of quilts around, you know, you because got it. See, you when, know. when they got to farm country in like the 1890s, like there, there wasn't, you know, my, actually my great, great grandpa started the, the mercantile there. But like, oh, wow. there, there wasn't like going to the mall. Do you know no, what I mean? There wasn't absolutely. a city, right? Absolutely. And what's funny is like, I definitely have like emotional attachments to like quilts I grew up with. That, see? Yeah. That like my grandma gave to my mom and we watched like a thousand movies under that quilt in the TV room. It. You know what I mean? You got it. 
Absolutely. And like, you know, that's hard my, to tell people that don't have that, that don't understand that. But when yeah. you give them a quilt, when you make a quilt for someone, it's emotional and you see it, you can see it in their faces. It's, it's something that's still there while it's not common. It affects people. Well, it, it's interesting. It's like, I remember as a kid being so excited to get Oreos because they were store-bought. Right. And now everybody <laughs> wants made everything. Yeah. And good. now everybody now like a good homemade cookie is what everybody wants. Like, you know, yep. Oreos are, are not the in-demand item. Right. Because no. it's what's common or what's not common. That's and, exactly. you know, every time that I'm talking to Tom, my wife's always like, well, ask Melinda what she's sewing. <laughs> or, you know, oh, like, really? <laughs> yeah. That's um, great. I, I, think I know she this, does quilting too. That's right. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is like, even just quilting small baby blankets that she's done for friends and family, yes. like people keep those permanently they and do. like they, it's, they didn't get from anybody else. Do you That's know what right. I mean? Exactly. And it, it, it wasn't like when my act of love. It wasn't like when my grandma was getting ba- was having babies, and that's a common right. gift, right? And you look at like look at the resurgence of like knitting, I right? Know. And crochet yes. and, and woodworking, and, right? Yes. People wanting to do something with their hands. Uh, yes. It, like very much. It's funny how like novel it is, but like when you skip a whole generation, you don't grow up with it. Like people are like, that's oh, right. this is you know, people used to make fun of this in '80s movies, but it's actually kind of fun to create something. That's right. There's something that's, I think, that's deep down in people that they feel it's in kind of an archetypal need to create something by your, with your hands, with your own hands. And I honestly, I think, well, for example, my Tom, our daughter loves to throw axes, which she grew up here in the country and she does all sorts of neat, just neat things that are, because Tom is, has so many weird, I guess most people would say, but they're esoteric hobbies. It's, and one of those was he likes to throw axes. So instead of going and getting her an ax, which he's done, he's, he's gotten her axes, but he made her an ax and he forged it. And he, I mean, he cuts the trees down and makes the, it's crazy. And those things are lifelong gifts. And you're right. If I were to ask her what she got for Christmas, she'll name the things that were made for her. You have no idea what you got for Christmas. Absolutely none, because it's a bunch of crap you got at the store and you set aside and you don't think about it. But you're right. If somebody handed you a quilt and I will tell you, too, I'll share a funny story with you. Her, one of her best friends, Caleb, I make him sweatshirts and hats and things like that, embroidered sweatshirts. And they were getting out of the car at the mall one day and it was like 85 degrees and he had one of the sweatshirts that I made him on. And she's like, Caleb, it's boiling. And he just looked at her with complete earnestness and said, it's custom. And she (laughs) was laughing and came back and related the story to me. And I share that all the time because he was dead serious. It was, it's custom. She made it for me, 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 me. I got that from her and by her hands and she made it. And that's something special. And you're right. It is. There's a huge resurgence of and younger, younger folks that are watching YouTube. And I think YouTube has really helped people and inspired people to do that because it's free tutoring. It's free and that you can rewatch it. And it's it's really neat. It's really neat to see. Well, it's it's interesting to me what a sleeper industry it is again. And, and, you know, my, a lot of my references through Al, right. And, and his family's business, but like, sure. Yes. Like tour buses of yeah. women come to their town. Like oh, he yeah. and his sister went and bought extra buildings to like Airbnb to all these people who are coming no, out to like this series of, of quilt shops that oh, they kept like wonderful. buying, they bought like building after building in this little town. And, and like, it's like, I don't know, it's like a mini Disneyland for quilters. Right. It is. And they have I, I have serious numbers. Oh, you have no idea how badly I want to, I, I am going to go there and visit because not only is Tacconi in Missouri, but she's in Missouri. And I, 
that's just one of my dreams is to get to visit that that wonderful thing that they created there. And it is, it's just, it is Disneyland. And if you were to, it sounds, you know, it sounds so silly to people, but you know, there are car people that feel like that. You know, they visit car museums and they do those things. My son's like that. But for us, people that are passionate about quilts, I mean, I could spend days there and never get tired of it. You know, it's interesting to me on a couple of aspects of like thinking about this for other businesses that maybe don't have as, you know, that don't relate to this story as much, right? Sure, sure. But like thinking about like most of your competitors are not doing anything in the quilting industry, okay? If we're talking to almost any CEO out there, right? And at the same time, like, can you imagine like, so my wife maybe has done like non-traditional quilts where she makes like much more like artsy characters uh-huh. and sells them like big giant characters and sells them on and whatever, right? Like, oh, the ability to like embroider something with somebody's name on it, you know, put the company logo, like the, like this handcrafted thing that doesn't look like the plastic swag that they've gotten yes. from every other vendor. You yes. know what I mean? Like the- yes. Oh yeah, the iron on stuff that peels off after five days. Yeah, but like, yeah. I think about just all the keychains and wallets and embroidered jackets that look like the other stuff that these yeah. people who are trying to bribe you into buying being a client have given me in the past, right? Sure, sure. And like the ability to do something personalized and have something made for someone, like one of the yes. best bits of swag I ever got was this trip in Japan. And they gave me a nice pen that had my name engraved on it, yeah. not theirs. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, right? I, absolutely. I just did this on a YouTube channel the other day, this exact topic. Yes, my daughter well, got uh, a Bible that had her name embossed in gold lettering. It's a treasure to her. They did that at at her her youth group and they gave her that when she was going to college. That was her last night of being, you know, now she's too old to be in youth group. It absolutely is a treasure that she'll keep forever. And and it would have been lovely either way, you know, had they given her a Bible. But what set it apart was that personalization of it. Well, you think there's so we have all been spammed to death on email. Right. And there's everybody shouting like crazy on social media and these kind of things. Yes. Yes. But, you know, COVID's going to end at some point. We're going to be allowed to hang out together in mass. Right. right? Yeah. And you think about like, like, I'm just thinking about like creative ways that people could harness something like this. Right. Like, I don't think people understand the like, you know how dudes go golfing mostly Mm -hmm. to like make friends with a client. It's not really about the golf. No, it's always a lot of times, right? And it should be. Yes. There's a, there's like a million different, sorry, there's not a million different. There's like a handful of different team building exercises that companies do. And in corporate America, we've all been to all of them already. And it's like, you know, slightly novel, pretty much what you've been through before. Right. Yes. And you think about like, if you did like a competitive quilting, like this team versus that team. Kind oh, of totally. I always wonder why they, you know, forged in fire. I always like, I, so I always tell Tom, I'm like, why can't they do this with quilting? And you have, and he's like, but all of us would watch it. I guarantee your wife would be watching it. It's interesting to me. There's these kind of, they're like, there's these sleeper industries that have a longevity and a history to them. Yes. But they're, they're so often deeply connecting human to human. Very and that's look at what, the way like- have a longevity. Look at the way like societies become more secular. The percentage of people that go to church on Sundays is way down. The percentage of kids in, in, in group sports is down. Yes. The percentage of screen time is up by like a million percent. Like, Especially after this COVID mess. Right. Um, and and so anyways, to me, it just feels like, you know, there's something you've got there of like, if you can create these like authentic in-person, non-screen based experiences, Very much. all of a sudden that's novel, right? Very Well, you, you brought up an interesting point and I've never actually thought about this, but you talked about Al and his, his mother's place in, in Missouri. 
and what a great team building that would be to have them sit in a quilt room and have be instructed to make something and quilt something, a little quilt. If it's a side, I teach placemat quilting all the time because it's simple and it allows people to learn the steps of making a quilt from start to finish. And they can finish it by the end of a class. And I'll be honest, they walk away from that and it does not matter what it looks like. And they're proud. They're very, very happy. And it, it launches them into, if they've got the bug for it, it will launch them into a lifelong love of that creative need that we, I really think we all have that. Some people more than others. Some people never find that niche. But for me, I think what I love most is watching somebody light up with that joy of creation. And I think that is an interesting point to bring in a group of people that have no idea how to do it and watch them connect through that. Well, you know, like, I think a lot of dudes would roll their eyes, you know, like if you went to Tom's Tom's former units or something, right? Oh, yes. But there's also like a unique opportunity there of like doing what never has been, has never been done to me. Like, Okay, you guys are going to make a man flag. You're going to quilt a man flag for your for your team. You know, like yes, something that hasn't been idea. done, right? Well, I and actually plan like, on having him sit here and do. I'm going to do a YouTube class with him and and teach him to do something really simple and and film it so people can see someone that's never quilted before. It's exactly what I want to do with him. And I thought about bringing another guy in. Actually, I don't know if you know Greg Allen, but two yeah, yeah. big big dudes and have yeah, a special forces colonel. Yeah. Oh yeah, they, yeah. So they would. I mean, the jokes that they. I'd have to beep it out every <laughs> every five seconds. You can imagine. It's gonna be like but, a rap song from the nineties. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Well, listen. Congratulations on the success you're having. If people want to check you out, we've, you've got the you've got the YouTube channel, just Melinda Bigley, yep. your Facebook page. Are those kind of the main places? Yes. So the Facebook is just under my name. I'm sorry. The YouTube is just under Melinda Bigley. And then the Facebook group is So Blessed Quilting and Embroidery. And and that is that's just based on how how blessed I feel that I get to do this every day. Well, that's fun. Um, yeah. Glad to. Uh, Glad to see you making progress and having fun and, and feeling like you're having success. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. And I, I, I got to tell you too, I don't know if I know your viewers probably know, but the work that you've done on child rescue is absolutely phenomenal and greatly appreciated by people that understand what's going on. And I think more people need to understand it. Those are, those are our kids and, and it hits me in the heart. So well, thank you. We, well, th- that's nice of you to say, but you know, your family ha- has been a huge part of that and you letting, you know, give it, lending us Tom all the time has, has, you know, that's time away from the family. And, and we really appreciate being able to have it's that important. level of expertise and credibility. And, and it has been a magnet for people to yeah. find out about us. And, you know, like when you show up with like a real live action hero, it's easier Absolutely. for us to get attention. Absolutely. And then once we've got the attention, we can share the cause with them. We can show them how they can help make well, it safer to a, have children in this country. On a tactical level, you have to have a guy like him. There are no guys. I will tell you, there are no guys like him. He is, he is, I mean, you put him in a room of all those guys and he will end up being the most knowledgeable. He's phenomenal. And I've been in practical situations for him. So I'm not speaking as the, as the wife of, you know, starry eyed wife. He is absolutely phenomenal. And if you want to be safe, you want him by your side. I can guarantee you that. But to tactically have him in there telling you how to work things and how to, you know, again, that goes back to my, there will always be war. When you have these kinds of guys that are willing to take these children and do what they do to them, you need somebody that's going to go in there and get rid of them and get those kids back safely. So you have to have somebody like that. And you have to have more than him. You've got to have guys like that that are willing to put that time in and save those kids. 
Well, but you have to yeah. have, you know, you're not the tactical guy, but you're the guy organizing it. So yes, you're, you're without you, he wouldn't know about it. I wouldn't, you know, I know about the, you know, what's going on, but you know, you bring awareness to that. You're the one that's, that's saving these kids and people that are doing that like you. Well, I'll tell you what, it's like, it's the most fun hobby I've ever had. Like I love snowboarding. I, you know, I'm an art school dropout. I love my art. But like, <laughs> and, and mind you, those, those things don't make me cry. Like this issue does. Nothing can but, make you cry with this issue. But, but this is like the most fun thing in my life. Like I'm when proud. we have had those success missions and it's like, we literally just had X number of kids get away from this predator or I mean, the first time it was just one single kid, you know, and that's um, one child. It was like, it was worth all the years of work for that one kid. You know, it's like, it's like the biggest high you can have is like, you know, but it's fun having Tom involved and just like, he's, he's so patient. He doesn't walk around like he's a big deal. He's such a good instructor. Like I I really appreciate even just coming up to your guys' 25 acres and him teaching me pistol shooting lessons out on your range, you know, and he is the most humble you would never in a million years ever think, uh, you, you, you know, you, if Tom Cruise walked in a room, everybody would be like, oh, my God, it's time. And I, I, you know, I would be not doing that, but they don't, they don't. And he doesn't want them to know, you know, that's the other thing about guys like that. He, he doesn't, and he won't tell people most of it anyway. I'll tell you funny stories. People will hear, and he's told you more, obviously <laughs> story. So, he, you know, but, but for the most part, he doesn't, he won't explain the real stuff but you'll hear some funny stories because there is nobody funnier. God, those guys, they're just <laughs> funniest people on the, on the that planet. Is one thing they that I take those situations and turn them into humor. That is one thing I didn't expect is how funny, especially certain individuals from that unit are, oh. you know, like eh, <laughs> they can't make a joke out of anything, but Every- uh, you know, I think one of the reasons, one of the times that, cause Tom is just so unassuming, easy to be around. It's like, yep. no wonder he's, he's such a natural leader, but like, one oh, yeah. of my one of the guys that I look up to who was a ranger and then went and did some some stuff that we don't talk about with one of the intelligence agencies for a long time and and is like a you know an MMA fighter and the guy looks like a bull he's not the kind of guy you'd want to mess with right and just like the level of respect from that guy to Tom when I see how other people treat that guy was like a real like wake up like not I don't know if wake up call but like it was a real interesting signal to me that a guy, a guy on that level who he has a little bit of an ego, like he, he, I don't know if ego is the right thing, but he, he's not easily impressed. There's a difference between confidence and ego and those guys that have done real things. They're confident. They're confident in a way that you don't see very often. It's, and some of them have some of uh, the guys in the unit, they tend to have, you know, they treat people sometimes differently. Tom's not like that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't talk down to people, but I get what you're saying. I've seen it over and over and over again. The guys that you would think, you know, when you see a general, you see a colonel, and I'm not going to get into that side of it, but they all look at him very differently because of, and he has a commanding presence. And I'll tell you a funny story. One of the things, one of the reasons I'm with him today and I remind him of this all the time. He's a, first of all, you've seen him teach. He's a, a, a phenomenal instructor, absolutely phenomenal. And like you said, patient. There was a guy, we were actually, it was when they were pre-moving, we were in Minnesota and they were doing, we had a couple of Blackhawks and I think a Chinook or something. And one of the guys was teaching signals, hand signals to get, to get the, 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 whatever the aircraft to land. And he did, he did something like he brought his hands like here and he was supposed to, whatever he was supposed to do was supposed to be like this. And instead of saying, you know, which some of those guys will say, Hey, you know, it's this way and you're going to crash a vehicle. Tom just said, I, you know, I think, I think what you meant was this. 
And the way he did it was so subtle and so respectful that it took my, it took me kind of a back and, and I, I, and I watched him do that kind of thing over and over. That was my first take on his humility because none of these, you know, some, some people knew what his background was. I knew immediately because they, they said, Hey, this guy is, was in the unit and he can talk to you about Iraq. And I immediately was kind of like, do you understand what you just said? Do you, do you get what you, first of all, the guy was in the unit and okay, I'll go talk. Yeah. I'll talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> the Michael Jordan of the pro sports of the military. Yes. And then so, he's the Michael Jordan of the Michael Jordans. You yeah. know, if you see him in a room with his guys, it's, 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 it's something else. Well, and he and as learned that through, through experience, as, not through talking. As long as we're telling on him, I will say like, <laughs> you know, when, when nobody's, a, when nobody's Sorry, around, when he talks, he's much less patient when nobody's oh, around. Gosh. And then when the actual situation happens, he's incredibly patient and respectful. It's so oh, funny to me. Oh my, the things that never, that drive, the, the things that you think would, wouldn't would really drive him, drive people crazy in general. Yes, he has a short fuse. But if, if, if there's bullets flying and you're about to get blown up in a bomb, he's talking like, yep, let's do this. Let's do that. And blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing. Just flat like this. Absolutely calm as can be. They had a joke. They used to say, they, they were always, hey, Tom's here. We're good. We're safe. And he's like, you know, in his mind, he didn't say anything, but in his mind, he's like, I can get shot and blown up just like anyone else. But they always, no matter what, what kind of situation he was in, they always felt good when he was there. And I do too. It's just fact. And, and I've seen him operate in all sorts of situations. I won't say where we were. We were at a train station in the middle of the night where we shouldn't have been. And we almost got rolled within 15 minutes. And I honestly, I don't know how he saw this guy coming from behind him. Cause I was watching him and he stepped in front of this guy. The guy realized that he, they pick up on him very quickly too. If they think they're going to mug you or whatever, we've been in situations like that in the States. They, there's a, there's just a look he has in his eyes and he was about ready to throw him into the tracks and these are electrified tracks. So this guy figured out that he was, he needed to go away and he did quickly. So he has a meter for those things, but on little things where it requires, <laughs> yes, you're right. His patience is not great. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be funny if he actually listens to this. Oh, he okay. will. Uh, he will. But the you know what? He's earned it. So it's okay. I, <laughs> I deal with the VA. You don't want to deal with the VA. Oh, you want him to get frustrated. That's who you deal with. They'll drive well, a rash out on a patient person. Yeah. Well, we could, we need to send some, some customer service people over there. Yes. Listen, this has been really fun. Congrats on the success. Thank you so much. And uh, happy things are going well for you. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it, Jess. Say hello yeah. to your wife. Okay, I will. Bye, everyone. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye.